Welcome to Tough Talk. Tough Talk was created to have challenging conversations across industries such as mining, oil and gas, renewables. We'll talk hydrogen, we'll talk hydropower, we'll talk offshore wind. You name it, nothing's off the table. Welcome to Tough Talk. So today on Tough Talk, we have, now you'll have to correct me, Gretchen Brecken, who is... Very close. Very close. So it's Gretchen Brecker. Gretchen Brecker. That's not close. I was not close at all. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, That's great. So Gretchen is the CFO at H2EX. Do you say it H2EX? Yeah, we do say say all the letters. Yeah, H2EX. Cool. Gretchen is going to talk about uh, the company. But first of all, what I'd like to do is get a background of yourself. So tell us all about Gretchen. Where to start? Um, so I'm the CFO and director here at H2EX. We do natural hydrogen exploration and we've got acreage um, in South Australia at the moment. But my background, university, I did economics and finance, always absolutely loved economics and pursued a Bachelor of Commerce with those two majors, economics and finance. And then I kind of got into commercial analysis and I started at the graduate program at Woodside um, in 2006, actually, and kind of went through the ranks doing, you know, net present value, internal rates of return on all of the um, major projects there at Woodside. Also did a stint at Alinta and Origin, did the Origin APLNG Train 1 FID, which was really exciting, um, a brief stint at Alinta, and um, then went back to Woodside and started doing my master's. I did um, my MBA at UWA here in Western Australia. And there was kind of a little a little pinnacle that was happening in 2019 uh, where I was finishing my MBA and I really started my MBA with the notion of, you know, sharp elbows, keeping up with the Joneses in the big corporate world. I wanted that second piece of academic paper on my wall. But as I was coming to the middle and towards the end of my MBA, I really started questioning myself, who am I? What am I doing here? What's the purpose of my life? And I really didn't think that was going to happen. But apparently, it's not uncommon um, when you do your MBA. And so very classic, that's what happened to me. Um, And I end up resigning from my corporate job end of 2019. COVID happened, which was like a forced hiatus. Nobody knew that was happening. Just a few months after I finished um, full-time work, COVID happened. And I ended up taking a bit of a sabbatical. I taught Pilates, just uh, enjoyed my life and really took a lot of downtime in 2020. And then in 2021, myself and my husband um, started H2EX. Oh, okay. So your husband is, what role does he play? So he's the CEO. So that old classic saying, too many chiefs, not enough Indians in our household. So, (laughs) but really it's a small business, Jody. so we do absolutely everything. Ah, well, that's good. And his background is similar? Is he ex-Woodside or...? Yes, similar, definitely. Also ex-Woodside. And we've got the commercial acumen that's similar, so commercial negotiation. He was, uh, he left Woodside as the vice president of LNG marketing, trading and shipping, some a long-winded title okay. there. He left at the end of 2017 and then um, started his own consulting business called Energy Market Strategies, which he still has ongoing now 
servicing yeah. the oil and gas industry, whilst we also work on our um, clean energy startup. Ah, fantastic. So what about, you, so you're a WA girl through and through? You know what? I am a very proud Australian citizen since 2001. So I migrated here with my family when I was 11 and we came over from South Africa. Lots of people coming over from South Africa um, in the 90s. Where us for was a slightly different reason. We coloured South Africans, uh, grew up in Cape Town, born and bred from Cape Town, actually. Mm -hmm. And we lived under the apartheid regime as non-whites. And um, my mum in particular was always trying to migrate to Australia for about a decade. And just as luck would have it, it happened in, they got the news in 1994 and we came over in 1995. So it was actually just a year after Nelson Mandela came into power. Okay. So a very, very different upbringing. I was there in South Africa and for my first two years of schooling went to coloured schools. And then from our equivalent of year three was then it was opened up uh, more, more of the more prestigious schools was allowing coloured people to, to go there. So um, from year three, four and five, I went to a different school that was traditionally non whites before that. So it was definitely a, a test of resilience and what a what a social experiment as well to be to kind of be a part of as well. And yeah, so we've moved over to Australia. We absolutely love it here in Australia. It is um, such a blessed country. Yeah, we are very lucky. I, I was fortunate to be in Perth for about seven, eight years in the 90s. And there were lots of South Africans coming over. Is it is it still the same now? I have no, I don't know. I don't think as much. There's definitely a, a large contingent of South Africans here in Perth, but I don't. I I, I haven't really noticed the the immigration kind of continuing on that on that trajectory that it was yeah. when it when it was that like nineties. You've lived in Queensland as well in Brisbane. Oh, so I've lived in Perth and a short stint in Sydney when I was at Alinta and Origin. Oh, okay. I mean, that, yeah. that's the great thing about, you know, the energy sector. It's all over the place and you can just move anywhere with your job. It's fantastic. So th thank you for that. So, so you've gone from this sort of gas LNG background and you've moved into a startup and so now it's focused on hydrogen. So yeah. I'm fascinated. So I've got lots of questions, but, okay, let's start with the obvious. Why do a startup called H2EX? So when Mark and myself two years later were leaving Woodside, I guess we are indoctrined into a notion of natural resources that you harvest or liberate and generally speaking, those rates of return are plentiful. Mm -hmm. So when we started applying our minds to renewable energy or clean energy, the rates of return are skinny at best. And it was really hard to kind of get excited about it. Both of us have a background in understanding economics. Mark is an ex-chartered accountant as well. And so when we're looking at different avenues, 
the business case for it is really, really important. I did a stint at Woodside m and I've done about $7 billion in executed transactions. And so understanding that the deal space is really important as to where we want to apply our um, limited time and resources. And what is so absolutely fascinating about natural hydrogen is rather than throw the baby out with the bathwater when it comes to fossil fuels and petroleum and the petroleum industry, we can harness our existing skill set, understanding subsurface geology, geophysics, geochemistry, development engineering, reservoir engineering, and all of the incredible above ground acumen that those companies have harnessed um, with respect to economics, commerciality, stakeholder engagement as well, and take those and apply it to a clean energy resource. So natural hydrogen is not where you find petroleum. So mm -hmm. it is a gas, but it's not where you're going to find petroleum prone basins. So for example, when, you know, Origin, Santos, Beach, Shell and Woodside are looking for um, traditional hydrocarbons, offshore Western Australia, um, around Moomba in South Australia, you'll find trace elements of um, hydrogen. But where hydrogen has been accidentally discovered, where industry um, has undertaken some petroleum activities, groundwater sampling or mining activity, it is in cratons where there's basement rock. And there was an unbelievably interesting peer-reviewed journal article that was written by Professor Chris Borum from Geoscience Australia in 2021, All right. where he did a systematic review of um, over 100 years worth of data in those three categories, um, oil and gas, mining and groundwater sampling. And it turns out that we have had accidental discoveries of natural hydrogen in the past, but basically it was a failure. For example, in South Australia, adjacent to the H2EX acreage are two historical oil bores drilled in the 1920s and 30s. So they're out there a hundred years ago looking for oil and out comes a hydrogen stream between 50 to 85% purity. But when you're looking for oil, you find mm. hydrogen. It's a hundred years ago. It's, it's worthless. So it's where, where exactly akin, is that yes. though? Where, where's the location? Say again? Where's the, the yeah, location? The location of the first well is um, very close to Minlerton and it's called the Ramsey Oil Bore. So that's on the York Peninsula in South Australia. Mm -hmm. And the second one is on Kangaroo Island and it's called the American Beach Oil Bore. There is another oil bore that's closer to the Otway Basin and it's called the Robe One Oil Bore and that discovered 25% hydrogen back in the day. That one's a little bit further away from where the natural hydrogen exploration tenements have been pegged. And the reason nobody's picked up the road one well is it is in a competitive um, area. Wow, that's fascinating. So that was done 100 years ago. It is absolutely ago. fascinating. 100 years ago. Yeah. And the way I think about it is I still remember stories about companies discovering oil in Africa and out comes nuisance natural gas, associated gas. Mm. 
and they just flare it. it. It had no value. It was a nuisance, actually. And now we know that natural gas is actually very valuable. We can, it's a commodity. And so it's a, it's kind of a, a similar thing. Back in the mid 1800s, oil was seeping up to the surface in the US. What is this black liquid? Natural hydrogen it does a similar thing. It's coming up through the earth and degassing and forming these hydrogen depressions. So you have this huge acreage on the Eyre Peninsula. What, what's the plan for that? Yeah, so we've got one exploration licence that was granted to us June last year and very quickly quickly we've hit the ground running. We were in discussions with CSIRO for approximately six months before that. We've started a desktop study with CSIRO looking at 14 open source data points looking at stuff like um, groundwater sampling, um, seeps, magnetotellurics, and reinterpreting this data, looking at it through the lens of natural hydrogen sources, migration pathways, and seeps. It's a desktop study, first of its kind, over the Air Peninsula, which is really exciting. Mm. And we received some grant funding for that as well through CSIRO. And at the moment, this very moment actually, Mark's out in the Air Peninsula with CSIRO doing gas soil sampling to detect hydrogen and helium. My goodness. So you come along and you explore it and you find it. <laughs> then you've, what's the end use? So people understand that it's going from the Air Peninsula. How does it get into everyday life? Is there? Yeah, it's a good Good question. So Premier Malinowskis over in South Australia, one of his election pledges was a green hydrogen facility in the Air Peninsula, and he's putting in um, $593 million to develop this green hydrogen facility. We are so close. So mm. if we can find natural hydrogen, whether you manufacture it or you harvest it naturally, hydrogen is hydrogen. So if we could um, pipe it to the green hydrogen facilities, combine it with their hydrogen, we just lower the cost of Australia's hydrogen, which is really exciting. It is. So then that would be used for <coughs> transport, all sorts of different power generation. You can inject it, re-inject it into a power generation site, right? Yeah, so there is, um, we just spoke to a company recently that would take the hydrogen and electrify it instantly. So at the moment, a lot of the miners in the Air Peninsula take their electricity off the grid. One of the new mines that have um, just been sanctioned, they're doing a Kowloon project. They're going to be burning LPG actually, because they were just oh, too wow. far away from the uh, electricity grid. So being able to find natural hydrogen in the Air Peninsula and directly connect with miners will be really advantageous too. Combining it with green hydrogen and is another avenue. Um, so there's quite quite a few different ways that we could see the market coming to fruition there. And with the state government heavily backing clean fuels, uh, it's a really nice legislative framework and environment to be able to pursue this real frontier clean energy source. Well, it is a real frontier. And I mean, it was only just recently or oh, well, recently in the last sort of four or five years where I think it was Statoil was out in the Air Peninsula 
and they wanted, or BP wanted to drill out there. So it's just, and that was offshore. So it's a real unknown area. I mean, it really literally is just farming and there's not a lot of people. So the remoteness is is incredible. It is. I think from our perspective, being based here in Perth and uh, having our experience in the Pilbara, when we look at South Australia and the Eyre Peninsula, we actually see materially more infrastructure than what we're used to over here in WA. So, so I, I find, yeah, yeah, so that from our perspective, we actually think there's a lot there. There's, uh, you've got, you know, just a, a short drive away, you've got Adelaide. Um, you've got so many miners out there. You've got gas pipelines, liquid pipelines. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, major roads, airports. So so we actually like the proximity to market that the Air Peninsula has. We've got trains too. I mean, mm. and obviously like with inland rail being built, they're, they're a good source for transport for sure. Yeah. I, they- think, I think just before we move on, just to um, talk about the market, there is one analogue of a producing natural hydrogen field, and this one was also discovered by accident, and it's in Mali in Africa. They were looking for water. It spontaneously combusted. The villagers ran away thinking there was evil spirits, and I'm not not over-exaggerating on that one. A private company came back and thought, well, if it ignited, maybe it's a gas, maybe it's valuable and went back and subsequently drilled 24 exploration wells. And it turns out to be a hydrogen stream that's 98%, up to 98% purity, I should say. And it's been used to electrify a village for seven years, which is really, really interesting. Well, the idea is it's the ability for remote communities to tap into that. And, you know, South Australia has a, a lot of remote communities that power gen set would be diesel gen sets. So, you know, I, I don't know what the volume of, what your volume you need for it to be economic. Is it, is this, is this one of these things that's going to be easy to sell in a con, some sort of form without a pipeline? Yeah, you can actually put them in cylinders or containers as well. There is um, steel making works that are really, really close to our acreage. So there are many ways that you can use the hydrogen instantaneously where it is and turn it straight into electricity or transport it. But um, I guess from our perspective, that's going to be such a nice problem to have because it means we um, have discovered a commercial quantity of natural hydrogen. And then just taking our learnings from the oil and gas industry and particularly the gas industry, where we take a hydrocarbon stream, strip out everything that we don't need and uh, then put it through a processing facility, liquefy it to negative 161 degrees Celsius, and then put it on a ship and transport it all across the globe. So we know that there are very clever boffins around that can help us solve some of those issues. So the, the volume that you're expecting to produce is not just fit for domestic purposes. You've got the plans to go global, go big. Well, it all depends on on what we find. But yeah. for us, we see this happening very similar to what happened in WA, where the domestic gas market is how the industry comes to fruition. Domestic gas here started in 1984 with exports in 89. Yeah. 
and it would be a really, really nice blueprint for us to follow suit. So um, a domestic market, absolutely first. I think the one thing that I notice with people that are going into new, you know, new industries or emerging technologies or whatever it is that have come out of the oil and gas sector, they're so excited <laughs> about their products more than the oil and gas people seem a little bit beaten at times. But, you know, like there's something really exciting about being at the for- forefront of something. Um, yeah, you know, it, it really is. You know, Mark, our CEO, he, he's out at the Air Peninsula right now, boots on the field, working with Syra. This is absolute cutting edge research and development. And it is really, really exciting. We absolutely love Australia. And if we can find, if Australia is so blessed in natural resources. Mm. I mean, if we're going to find natural hydrogen anywhere, it's going to be here. And we actually know others have already found it here, thanks to the Geoscience Australia 2021 peer reviewed journal article from Professor Chris Borum. So we know that it's here. It's whether it's here in commercial quantities. And if we can take our existing skill set from the minerals and the oil and gas industry and transfer them over to natural hydrogen, I just think that is an absolute win-win. When it comes to manufactured clean energy, yes, Australia has sunny skies and a lot of landmass, but, you know, so does a lot of other countries as well. And I Mm -hmm. I really think it's going to be harder for us to compete on a global scale. We're a first world country with high um, standards of living. And so our cost structure is just more expensive in Australia. So um, if we can harvest what Mother Nature has given us naturally, we know that if we can harvest it from Mother Nature, it's going to be cheaper than manufacturing it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, we we are not competitive when it comes to manufacturing. Just just labour rates alone would simply kill us. We just don't have the volume of people to get those rates down. But I think one of the, the things that's kind of interesting to me is that the contractor market too has changed. You know, traditional I mean, the, the contracting market out there isn't massive, but when you're going into someone like, you know, if you're going to be drilling for hydrogen and doing wells, we're going to be using the same drilling companies that we've always used, and it, but it's slightly different for them now. You know, it's a different it's a different gas that they're chasing than what they were before. Is that correct? Yeah. Absolutely. We've had um, discussions with University of Adelaide, one of their professors there, so clever. He's looking at abandoned or old exploration wells and how we can repurpose them and the kit required on top of those exploration wells to use them for potential hydrogen storage from manufactured green hydrogen projects. Yeah. So we absolutely know that that work and research is currently being undertaken. One of our um, peers called Gold Hydrogen, they're going to be drilling a natural hydrogen well later this year, and they've been working um, with Slumberger on that well design. So so it, it is absolutely happening right now, that thinking mm. um, is happening, which is really exciting. It's great because, I mean, even the constructors, whether they're pipeliners or, you know, what they were doing LNG plants now have to sort of look at the scope for which what they deliver and think, right, well, how do we get match fit? 
And, you know, I've worked with a few of them where they're developing different strategies as, you know, the typical is solar and, solar and wind, but what about hydrogen? What about offshore wind? What about all these other things? Hopefully everybody gets on board so it's not exclusive and expensive because that tends to kill things. But it's it certainly is exciting. So what's the sort of schedule when you look at your particular acreage, right, from, yeah. from now to when you possibly could think it could be commercial? I mean, it's a bit of a tough, tough question, but give it a shot. Thanks. So um, we've got quite a commanding position acreage-wise in South Australia. Um, we've got our one exploration license that totals about 6,000 square kilometres. We've also got some applications. Applications are the precursor to a license and they need to go through the right to negotiate process before they're awarded to us as a license. So that is currently the process that we're going through at the moment. But when you add up the H2X acreage position, um, in its totality, it's approximately the size of Portugal. So we've got a really, really nice acreage position to be able to apply our minds to. We're focused on our expiration license at the moment, obviously, because it's been awarded to us. So in the year one work commitment, which will end in a couple of months, and we've already fully satisfied that one, we've done the desktop study with CSIRO. Now we've got boots on the ground looking at the gas oil sampling to detect hydrogen and helium. In year two, we're going to be looking at subsurface data acquisitions, particularly magnetotellurics and passive seismic. And that's to form a portfolio of leads and drill-ready prospects by approximately the end of next year, so end of 2024. We want to be ready to drill in 2025. That's pretty quick, isn't it? That's pretty a fast turnaround. And so when and there's a reason to that actually. So mm-hmm. so because like offshore, we're used. I was used to you know 3D seismic and that sort of stuff. It's it it takes a long time. Yeah. Onshore, when we're looking at cratons with this basement rock. The data acquisition techniques are materially quicker. It might actually be the approvals process that will be longer than the actual data acquisition techniques. There's one company that is so exciting in this space, in the passive seismic space called Fleet Space Technology. And they've they initially started out as a I don't know, like in, in the space area. Mm. And now they're applying their technology to the resource sector. And they've been able to reduce the time for passive seismic um, data acquisition and interpretation from, you know, like three to six months to a matter of two to three weeks. So, I mean, that's fascinating how fast it can take. And you're right, like offshore has got a, another level of complexity. I'm just kind of interested to know, you know, I, I, I worked from CSG to LNG at QGC and at Santos and the, you know, when you talk stakeholders, land access and all those wonderful things, I think even inland rail has something like two and a two and a half, three thousand landholders. It's just massive. Air Peninsula, I suppose they're big acreage. How are the how's everyone is everyone on board with the process? It's not a loaded question, so I, I just I'm just interested to understand because it's a it's a it's a game changer. It's a problem solver. Absolutely. So I went over to Air Peninsula middle of March, 
and um, it was the Air Peninsula Local Government Association Conference in its 86th year, which I thought was um, wow. outstanding. Mm -hmm. It was such a great conference, got to make all of the district councils uh, presented there as well. And they are very supportive of development and industry in the Air Peninsula. So um, with respect to getting approvals for the gas oil sampling that we're currently undertaking, um, it was almost like, how can we help you get this done? Um, wow. The farmers in the area as well have been really, really supportive. One of the mayors of the district council was sending through some information on some historical like mining activity that had happened in that area. So from a, a private landowner and district councils, we've had uh, really, really overwhelming support, actually, which is great. Oh, that's terrific. And... So when it comes to actually the funding of H2, what's the story behind the funding? Yes. Yeah, so um, we uh, did a Series A last year, about, um, yeah, start of last year. And so um, that's been seeing us through our um, work program obligations and getting the company set up and, and rolling. But, you know, um, money always runs out because you should be spending it to grow the company valuation, which is what we've been doing. So, so yes, we will be needing to do uh, additional um, raising to get us ready for future work activities. And what's really nice about Onshore is, you know, the numbers just aren't the same no. versus offshore wells. So it really is quite manageable. Yes, this is high risk, high return. But the dollar figures associated with mm. it are not that bad. So the wells are quite shallow. Are they? Is Very it is shallow. hydrogen yeah. and so coal? Those or? two historical oil bores that detected between fifty to eighty-five percent hydrogen. That was at a depth of two hundred to five hundred meters. Oh, so they're they're shall more shallow than CSG wells. Yeah, the, the, it, it is like a glorified bore. It's, it's, you almost can't even call it a well. I think you should keep that a secret. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty cool, right? Like yeah. that's quite remarkable. And I mean, I really, I really hope it works because it's a, this is just another element to transition, the energy transition. It's not the full solution, is it? It's, it's, it's a bit like electric vehicles is one small solution this is this is a this is a game changer though isn't it it's definitely a game changer yeah the cost of supply um in the scientific literature is quoted between us 50 cents to a dollar 50 per kilogram of hydrogen mm -hmm. and at that sort of rates it is absolutely competitive with fossil fuels um if it's there in commercial quantities so yeah. So um, that's that's the kicker, and we really think that that prize is worth chasing. And um, there is another natural hydrogen outfit in Spain, and they've just recently come out um, with their estimate. They've also got a historical well that discovered natural hydrogen accidentally, and they're saying the cost of supply could be US eighty two cents per kilogram. So, wow. so very very low cost of supply, and you know when we come from that economics of petroleum, mm. this really looks to me like clean energy with petroleum rates of return. 
Yeah. So the just to give a bit of a an understanding between the natural hydrogen and green hydrogen. <clears throat> so green hydrogen is a manufactured process, man-made, and it is taking water, which is H2O, electrifying it effectively, and to generate the electricity to get the green tag, it needs to be from a renewable source. So generally speaking, solar or wind or a combination of both generates electricity, zaps the water H2O that then splits off the hydrogen and then that hydrogen is captured and um, used as its own fuel source. So it's effectively generating electricity to split the hydrogen from the H2O capturing the hydrogen and then using that as a clean energy source. Natural hydrogen is where Mother Nature is effectively doing green hydrogen projects herself subsurface. So there is loads of different ways that Mother Nature can create natural hydrogen by itself, and it's a chemical reaction subsurface. One of the ways is called radiolysis where alpha, beta and gamma rays from uranium, thorium or potassium radiogenic materials interacts with the water table and mm. splits off the hydrogen. And we know that in South Australia, there is huge quantities of high grade uranium. So we, we know that the ingredients are there. And there's also other ways that Mother Nature creates hydrogen. I won't go through all of them, but the ones that um, are, get us excited over the H2EX acreage um, is radiolysis that I just mentioned before. Also, um, serpentinization, the interaction between iron, water, and heat. Mm -hmm. And we know that all of those elements are prevalent there too. And the third way, primordial, the notion that um, there is hydrogen trapped within the Earth's core and it's coming up from much deeper seeded sources. So that's quite interesting to us as well. From a commercial perspective, we're agnostic. We don't really care how the hydrogen <laughs> is made just as long as it's there in commercial quantities. Absolutely. And uh, it's interesting that South Australia, you know, you point out to the uranium. I mean, it's it's a pretty easy place to do business when it comes to the resources sector. Uh, so, this is, yeah, sorry, you go. No, sorry to interrupt. This is our first foray doing business in South Australia and um, it's just been fantastic. Uh, the Department of Energy and Mining um, are so ahead of their game when it comes to enacting legislative changes to even allow this industry to be right now. Yeah, that's terrific. I mean, it was interesting. Richard Turner, for, who was the founder of Zen Energy, came on the other day and he said South Australia, in reference to solar and wind, the leaders globally. 70% yes. being 70% of the power. He said it's even ahead of Denmark. And I was like quietly proud, but having nothing to do with any of it. <laughs> but that that sort of blew my mind as to how progressive they've actually been over the last sort of 20, 25 years, I guess. Yeah. So there you go. It's fascinating. Wow. And it's it is fascinating. And it's like they've come so far because I just recall, you know, them having rolling blackouts a few years ago and they've had their hydrogen action plan for now five years and it's really bearing fruit. And in all of our interactions with the various um, government departments, 
we do see a collective oneness moving in that direction. And so it's it's no surprise almost that you hear those statistics about mm. being performing better than places like Denmark. Yeah, it's interesting. So people need to follow your story. So how, how do they do that? Just follow you on LinkedIn? How do they? Yeah, we're on LinkedIn. Um, H2EX has a a LinkedIn profile. So yeah, we keep most of our things up to date on LinkedIn. Um, Also our website, um, www.h2ex.com.au. Yeah, it's a great website. And is is there anything else that you want to highlight about H2EX? I mean, we'll see press releases if there's something exciting something will come out, we should follow you in order to see what happens with funding requirements and things like that. It's definitely of interest to me. Is there anything else that we should know? I think my parting parting words is just with respect to our, our skill set and I think it's it's incredible that we can utilise a skill set that Australia has been harnessing for decades now and apply it to a clean energy source. And we're kind of proud of our oil and gas background because it means that we can be in the driving seat as we now pioneer um, the natural hydrogen industry in Australia. So wish us luck. And uh, if we if we can get this one off the ground, I think it's just an absolute win for our country. And it and it's the potential of what it can do for other projects as well. And it's nice to hear you say that, you know, being an oil and gas person and transitioning into clean energy, you know, it's good. It's a good message for young people to hear that, you know, there's a reason why you work for those companies is that they do provide opportunities. And your career is a testament, not just to you, but also to those organisations for supporting you, transit, you know, all these different departments that you've worked in is outstanding. Absolutely. Um, the training that you get at those institutions and those organisations, they are top tier, second to none. Australian companies doing business here, they are incredible. And the standard that I took for granted, I must mm. admit, you know, and it's only when you leave that industry um, that I've really come to understand how well Australia does it in the oil and gas industry here and, and mining as well. So so the, the, the calibre, the standard is top notch. Yeah. And yeah, we should be really proud of the, the calibre and the talent that comes out of those um, organisations. Absolutely. I, I'll tell you a story one day when I had to change the uh, printer cartridge for the first time after I left QGC. It was a, a very an emotional experience. but Humbling. Just playing to the spoilt <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Absolutely. thank you so much, Gresham, for coming on today, Tough Talk with Jodie Rowe. I really appreciate it. And we hope to see you soon. Are you coming to Adelaide for Apier or anything soon? I'm not going to be coming, unfortunately. Um, Mark Hanna will be there along with our chairman, Peter Coleman. So mm-hmm. they'll be representing H2EX well at APR. It's coming up um, quite soon, actually, mid, mm. mid-May. So I'll look, at, I'll look out for both of them to say hello. Absolutely. Yeah, please do. Thank you. Thanks a lot. See you, Jody. Bye.